It is so nice to be back, guys. We'll wait a few minutes and see if anybody else knows about the class, given that I sent out the reminder just now. Someone's having trouble finding the login. Um, what is the login and password? Let's see, meeting ID. Eight, five, seven, <clears throat> five, seven, zero, three, six. Password is four nine six Hello. Oh, you made it. Hi, Sherry. I just texted you the information. I got it, thank you. I texted Phyllis too, because I didn't know who would be actually looking at their phone. <laughs> I happen to have had it right next to me. I'm glad you're <laughs> on. Okay, we'll wait one more minute, because I know it's a little last minute this class, and then we'll start, but it is so nice to be back and to see your faces. Absolutely. Oh, it's nice to be back. It's been enough of a break. Okay, hang on. Let me make sure no one else is trying to get on. Did the link work? For, did anyone try pressing that link? And did that work for anybody? Wasn't sure okay. if anything actually worked. Hello. 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 What a treat to see you. Hi. Nice to see you too. Too long. <laughs> How have you been? Good. Thank God. Uh, Wonderful. It's been a busy couple of, couple of months, but uh, I bet my baby is finally starting to go to sleep on time. And uh, someone said to me, "Hey, when are you sending our class again?" And I said, "Oh, right now." <laughs> Wonderful. I've had my ups and downs, but thank God I'm still here. Still here. Everything's okay. good. Yeah. It's very positive. Yeah. Okay. I think we're going to start. Um, you know, a lot that I wanted to talk about as usual. And if people, other people join, it's, this is the kind of class that's sort of a pop in, pop out. So we're going to be going through 
you know, different things each week. If you can make it one or two weeks, you can't make it every week. That's all absolutely fine. Um, and the goal is to do a six week series to bring us to Shavuot. Um, so I'm going to mute everyone while I give the introduction. And then I'm going to unmute everyone because I really, you know, as, as usual, I love having more of a discussion. So we'll try to have a real kind of discussion, group discussion kind of a class. Just let me figure out how I meet everyone, first of all. I know there's a way to do that. I can't figure it out. Is everyone, did everyone mute themselves? Thank you. You said, oh, she's not going to be able to. I appreciate that. Okay, here we go. So the topic of the class, or how we titled it, is, um, is uh, making it to Sinai. And the idea is that we have six weeks now, really, really a full seven weeks. But if we started counting, if we start, you know, if we start counting by the Pirkei Avot, which is what we're going to be learning, we have six weeks to go to make it to Sinai. When I say making it to Sinai, I really mean making it to Shavuot, making it to this holiday where we are receiving the Torah. So hang on a second. I'm making sure that I have my like, right notes open. I'm opening up notes on my LL class. That is a long time ago. <clears throat> okay, so so what I wanted to do is I wanted to organize the class today into just a brief introduction on what sphere is about. I want this period of seven weeks of counting between Passover and Shavuot, what it's focusing on and what it's about, what we're supposed to be gaining from it. And then I wanted to talk specifically about what I'd like to learn together. And to be totally honest, you know, I I was reminded, very gently reminded to start teaching, you know, to start this group up again by somebody in our congregation. But I'm really also doing it for selfish reasons, because this period of time is really a period of time where we're supposed to be focusing on personal growth. And when we want to focus on personal growth and sort of growing from Passover to Shavuot, growing and changing ourselves and developing ourselves. And I know personally that it's hard to do that without some kind of a concrete goal. It's hard to do that without some sort of a concrete focus, some sort of a concrete focal point. So I was hoping that this class would sort of be a, a, an incentive for me to focus on growing and also in itself a source of growth. So I'm doing it almost purely for selfish reasons, um, but I hope, I hope I can drag you all along with me on that journey. And because I was really focused on how can we grow together, I picked as the topic that we covered together, Perke Avot. Does anybody know, what, I think we could all mute each other already. Does anybody know what Perke Avot is? Has, has anyone else been starting to learn that? Shara, you unmuted yourself. Anything to say? Yeah. You just unmuted yourself <laughs> to join in with me. Thank you. So we'll talk a little. It's great because I have a lot to say about Perkevot, actually. So we'll talk a little bit about what it is, this, the context of this Mishnaic. It's you know, translates as ethics of the fathers, and we'll talk about what it is exactly. And there's actually a custom to learn it during this seven-week period. So we'll talk about why that is, and then so really the, the main goal of this class is going to be to learn through Perke Avot together. Perke Avot is one of the tractates in the Mishnah. So we'll learn through it together. And it's really the, it's translated as the ethics of our fathers. 
And it really focuses a lot on sort of how to become a human being, how to become a mensch. And as we'll see, that's really what the focus of these weeks is supposed to be about. So it's perfect for these weeks. We'll go through it and we're going to go through it with a very special commentary that I discovered last year and that I'm really in love with. Okay, that is the outline. So let's first talk about Sphira. So we all just went through Passover. There's this very famous aphorism. It's very famous saying from the Brisker Rav, who was famously very, you know, sharp and witty. And he says, don't just go through, you know, don't just get through a holiday. The holiday has to go through you. What does that mean? Any ideas? What does that mean? The holiday has to go through you. It sort of harks back to like the classic, like the classic of Eliyahu Dessler, who talks about how the point of a holiday is to change yourself, right? So, so the, the Jewish idea of a calendar is this circle. It's the Galgal Hashanah. It's the, it's the Galgal means like a circle or a cycle in Hebrew. It's like the circle of the year. And it's sort of like, I think Rav Eliyahu Dessler, when he talks about this, pictures like a train going around the circle and it gets to these different stations. And at each station, the train stops. And your job is to grab the spiritual potential of that station, the spiritual potential of that holiday. So every holiday that happens to us, it's we're it's, it's, ha it's not just happening to us. We're actively engaging in it and we're grabbing the spiritual potential of that holiday. What's the spiritual potential of the holiday of Passover? Any ideas? What does Passover symbolize to you? What's the spiritual sort of meaning behind Passover? So for me, um, before I say it, I think it also ties into Galgal. I was wondering, um, when I picture uh, Galgal, I think of waves because doesn't Gal mean wave? Yes, it absolutely does. Beautiful. So I think of waves and a wave going into a wave. I wonder what the um, connection there is. Beautiful. So I think of how like recycle, <laughs> reduce, reuse, <laughs> and then I um, then I think of um how like Lador Lador. And that's basically Passover for me, um, along with like a lot of holidays actually, but uh, Passover, especially the Seder plate symbolizes um, the remembrance um, of past, like of our ancestors, you know? That's gorgeous. It's so fascinating to me how, how Passover of all the holidays, pass, like statistically, you can look at this Passover is, I think, I could be wrong about this, but as far as I remember, Passover is the most celebrated to the point where people who don't keep anything else will keep Passover and they won't only keep Passover. Um, my husband was saying, Rabbi Shlomo was saying that he was in, I think it was, I think it was ShopRite in Plainview, like the day before Passover. And he was one of the only like visibly Orthodox people there. And everyone who was passing him had their own big shopping cart. Like people who were not at all visibly Jewish had their big shopping cart full of like, you know, gefilte fish and matzah. And they're like comparing recipes of him. Hey, did you get your, did you get your maria? Did you get your horseradish? And he was saying, well, we know we have very good friends who don't keep kosher during the year, but on Passover, not only are they careful to keep kosher, they're careful to not eat any hummets. They're careful to only eat matzah. Like that's intense. That's, that's, you know, going in, sort of full-fledged, like you're going to go from not keeping kosher to not eating any chametz even. There's something about Passover that's very much this strong sense of tradition and and very much so, Nicolette, to the extent that we keep the kids up, right? A lot of the Seder is focused around the kids because it's all about, what did you say? What did, how did you call it, Nicolette? Dar la dar. 
passive yeah, and tradition. Beautiful. Passive and tradition. That's a one huge focus of Passover. Any other ideas? What's another sort of focus of Passover or spiritual energy that we get out of Passover? I was under the impression that Passover was so highly celebrated by Jews um, of all practices because of the family gathering. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, yeah, but which really speaks to exactly this idea, though, like we make the we make it very, very uh, focused on this family gathering. We make it very focused on this Seder. What's the purpose of the Seder? The purpose of the Seder isn't just to celebrate with family. The, the spiritual purpose of the Seder is exactly what Nicolette said, the Dharva Dar to pass on this message to your children. And that's why there's this mitzvah of on that day, when you have Masa Amara in front of you, you that is the day that you tell your kids what happened to our ancestors. Our ancestors left Egypt, right? That is exactly it. I, th- I think that's I think that's why it it is so widely celebrated because of that because of that family gathering, that's been such an important part of it. But I think that sort of speaks to how powerful this Seder is, this passing on the tradition is. Um, any other ideas? What's another like spiritual piece of Passover? What pa- Passover is this holiday when we were physically freed, right? So then we have this period between Passover and the next holiday, Shavuot, which is exactly seven weeks long. And what happened on Shavuot? What is Shavuot commemorating? Shavuot is um, Sinai, right? Shavuot is Chorev. Yeah, sorry, Nicolette. <laughs> Round to cover. I'm moving on. Shavuot is celebrating um, receiving the Torah, right? So what was the purpose of that 49-day period? Why didn't God just give us the Torah right away? We left Egypt, right? He, he gave us our physical freedom on Passover. What happens on Shavuot? We get the Torah. Why did we need that 49 day period? Why couldn't he just give it to us right away? Any ideas? The, 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 um, the purpose of this 49 days is to prepare us, right? To the extent that the name of Shavuot Actually, there's a couple of names, like every Jewish holiday, there's a few names, but the name for Shavuot literally means weeks. What are, what are the weeks they're referring to? The weeks, the name of Shavuot, Shavuot is a week in Hebrew. What are those weeks referring to? Hi, Jessica, welcome. Hey, you sorry, I'm waiting. talking about Sphira. What are those weeks referred to? Those weeks are referring to the seven weeks in between. So that is how focused this period is, that is how important this period is, that you don't have Shavuot without those weeks. You can't get Shavuot, so to speak. You can't get to to Shavuot. You can't get to Sinai without those seven weeks, which is really powerful. So what's the purpose of those seven weeks? Preparation. That's the purpose of them, right? So we leave Egypt and picture the scene, right? We're on the Seder and I were all supposed to picture as if we were leaving Egypt. So what are we picturing? We're picturing this nation. Yes, we just experienced this year of miracles. We experienced this year of, of these incredible plagues where we watched from the safety of our suburb in Goshen as the Egyptians were hit again and again and again by plague after plague after plague. Fine, we got that. But at the same time, we just went through, you know, but depending on the, on the way you count it, at least 80 years of supreme servitude. 
So we're picturing, picture yourself, right? You're leaving Egypt with your family. You have your, you know, you packed up very quickly. You have your matzot on your back, but you're a slave, right? As much as, as much as you don't want to be a slave anymore, you're still stuck in that slave mentality. So God gave us our physical freedom and we're free, but we don't yet know who we are. And now we need to create who we are. That's what this seven weeks was for. The seven weeks was to get us from Pesach to Shavuot. It was to get us from physical freedom to spiritual freedom. What is spiritual freedom? Spiritual freedom is Torah. Spiritual freedom is having a structure that enables you, that gives you, you know, it's, it's exactly what we talk about in, in uh, educational psychology. It's exactly what we talk about when we talk about raising kids, right? That you need to give them freedom within limits. You need to give them the freedom to develop. And how does something develop? You need to have a box to develop. And that's what the Torah was. There's a couple of really interesting points that sort of drive this home. So first of all, um, what, when we talk about this period and what we're counting, the, the term for that is Sirata Omer. What is the Omer? Anybody familiar with what the Omer is? The counting of the Omer. What is the Omer? The Omer was this offering that was brought up in the times of the Mishkan and in the times of the Midbar and in the times of the Temple. It was this Omer literally means a sheaf. In other words, like a, like a bundle of something. The Omer was an offering of barley specifically. So I think it's, I, I could be wrong about this, but I think it's the only offering that was made out of barley. What was barley defined as, or what was sort of the symbolism of barley? The, the offering of barley is very symbolic of animalistic tendencies, right? The barley was, you know, nowadays barley is, is a health food and we all eat barley, but in the days of the temple, barley was this grain that was reserved for animals primarily. It was what they fed to animals. On Egypt, we were freed from, from uh, we were freed physically. Our animal bodies were freed, but we weren't yet at the level of developed spiritual beings. What are we counting? We're counting from that Omer, from that barley offering, and we're counting up to Shavuot. What is the what is the uh, the sacrifice that we bring on Shavuot? The special sacrifice of Shavuot is not, you know, lambs. It's not sheep. It's actually wheat. It's an offering of wheat. The primary special symbolic offering of Shavuot that we brought up in the temple was an offering of wheat. What does wheat symbolize? Any ideas? Anyone want to take a guess? Um, I could take a guess that it's, well, because wheat is made into bread, it symbolizes, it could symbolize like the potential to, to make something that like is, is very man, is very human. Exactly. 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 Thank you, Jessica. That was a great guess. Brilliant guess. Yeah, exactly. It's not even that it, it's not even that it symbolizes, it's not even just that wheat is eaten by human beings. As Jessica said, wheat is what we we take wheat and we transform it and we use our intelligence and our skills and our tools to transform it into bread. So wheat actually, in, throughout Torah, you'll see this, that wheat symbolizes chachma, it symbolizes human intelligence. So the purpose of this period is to make it literally from an animal tendency to the human tendency. The purpose of this period is to grow from our, is to, to grow ourselves into human beings. That is the purpose of it. And just to mention another interesting point that has to do with the name, Sfirata Omer means literally the counting of the Omer. 
So what do, so so what's this counting about, right? So actually it, it comes from the, the Bible. In the Torah, God commands us, and you shall count for yourselves from the day of the Omer, count each day. So we start with day one. And but at the end of the class, if I remember, maybe we'll count together because I still haven't counted for, for today. But every single night, starting the second night of Passover, um, we count starting tonight is day one of the Omer. Tonight is day two of the Omer. Tonight is one week of the Omer, two weeks of the Omer. And we're counting up steadily to get to Shavuot. So a couple of points about that. First of all, yes, we've all counted, right? We've all, I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, I had a little calendar where I would mark off how many days left until summer vacation. We're familiar with counting days, right? But over here, we're counting up. We're not counting down. Usually it's like, oh, only 14 days left until grandma comes. Oh, only 13 days left until grandma comes. And now we're actually counting up. You know, oh, we have one, it's one day of the Omar. Oh, it's 30 days of the Omar. So why are we counting up? And also, why are we counting at all? Okay, so we want to use this time to repair. What's going on with the counting? Any ideas? Any, any suggestions are, are welcome. You don't have to know the answer. Guesses are also good. Um, I think I need to just unmute all of you and that, and that way someone will say something, but, um, I can also, I can also say the answer. That's also fine. Um, there's a couple of ideas here. The, the main idea is, so this is a really interesting idea that I actually just saw from one of my old teachers when I was, when I was preparing for the class, she has a beautiful article on H.com. And what she explains is that Svira counting comes from the same root as the word list. As, as the word Sipur, which means it's also sin pay resh, and it means a story. And what we said before is that we left Egypt, we were physically free, but we had no idea who we were. Our entire identity was as slaves, literally, right? We, we were, we were, um, we were totally subjugated human beings. And then we had to spend the next seven weeks doing what? Telling our story, forming a narrative, right? So Here's the thing. Life happens. Things happen to us, right? We are, we're, especially in today's day and age, we're frenetically busy. We're moving. We're busy. We're rushing. We're doing this. We're doing that. And it's very easy to just go through life and go through our days and experience and do and even accomplish, but not necessarily see the whole picture. What's a sepur? What's a story? A story is when you see the whole picture, a story has a beginning, a middle and an end. It has a narrative. You see the purpose, you see the shape, you see the climax, you see what's happening and you, and you put it into a context. And that's what counting does for us. Counting helps us tell our story. Counting helps form a story. It's almost like narrative therapy that we talk about in psychology. When you have some kind of a bigger view of yourself, bigger view of your life, when you have a narrative about where you're going and where you're coming from, what does that do? It helps you live consciously. In other words, that's what enables us to grow. Does that make sense? During this period, we're counting in order to live consciously. We're counting in order to grow. Why are we counting up one day and now two days? And now it's three days because every day we're tucking something under our belt. Every day we're taking one more step up towards making ourselves into a mensch, making ourselves into a human being. We're counting up 
because we're trying to climb up in levels of purity and in levels of growth and in just levels of spirituality until we reach that, that height of Sinai, that ultimate height of Sinai. So that's what Sphere to Omer is about. It's about growing. It's about preparing. So here's a question for all of you. How do we grow? How do we, how do we achieve that? Like in Judaism, what does spiritual growth mean? How do we do that? How do we accomplish that? Studying Torah. Studying Torah, beautiful. Very, very much so. I mean, they talk about how Torah is, it's almost like, you know, you want to, you want to know God, study Torah, right? And, and that's what spirituality is all about. Spirituality is all about emulating God and also growing close to God. So 100%. So studying Torah is, is one way of achieving growth. Any other ideas? What's sort of the Jewish attitude towards growing? Also, um, I have one more idea if that's, um, also discussing with each other other Jews. In, a, in, other, in other words, learning Becharusa, not just learning Torah, yeah. but learning with Becharusa, the whole, the whole give and take of Judaism. We believe very strongly in group learning. Beautiful. Yeah, like now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what I told you. That was my cheat sheet. That's how I'm learning. Like giving a class. Any other ideas? What's, what's the Jewish focus on growth? How do we, how do we um, what's our attitude towards growth? So there's this idea that, I, that I've spoken about. I'm sure all of you have heard me speaking about it because I'm totally in love with it. I think it's a fantastic way of looking at the world. But there's this idea that there's three stages to everything. And this is, this is something that you see in, in so many areas of life, not just in when it comes to growth, but there are three stages. There's A, B, C. There's the spark, the potential, and there's a period of down when you have to work to grow. And then there's like the fruition right? One of the clearest analogies to this is um, spiritual growth. So we all experience moments of inspiration, right? We all experience that flash where we're like, oh my gosh, look at what happened. This morning, I actually, <laughs> I shouldn't say this story because it's pretty horrifying, but I actually managed to set a fire on my stove because I am um, didn't re I turned off the fire underneath my tea kettle didn't realize that there was a plastic cutting board on my stove and like a spark must have it wasn't next to the tea kettle but a spark must have fallen on it thank god for fire alarms because after 10 minutes upstairs getting ready for work the fire alarm went off and thank god I was calm enough to put it out but what's my point? I had this spark of like being very shaken up and like, oh my gosh, thank you, Hashem. And like I was saying, you know, there's a there's a couple of Psalms that you say to say thank you to God. So I was saying like Psalm 33, thank you, Hashem. And then like, you know, you sort of like, that was a flash of inspiration of feeling, wow, thank you, God. I'm so lucky that nothing happened. Like there was this fire and I put it out and my baby was sleeping in the other room, but he was fine. Um, and then like you move on from that, you know, and if I want to hold on to that, the rest of the day happened and I came home and I saw I had put out the thrown out the door. I saw the burnt, uh, half burnt, consumed plastic cutting board. I threw it in the garbage. And like that day you move on with your life. And, like that's the, the idea of growth is that if you want to hold on to that inspiration, that feeling of like, wow, God is so good to me. You have to, you have to capture that. Right. Um, another great analogy is this analogy of like someone is going on a path through the woods and it's totally dark and they can't find their way at all. And there's a lightning, there's like a flash of lightning and there's a storm and the lightning enables them to see the path ahead of them. 
and then it goes dark again, right? There was a flash of lightning that lit up the path and then it's dark again. And they have to fight to figure out the path, but they had that lightning that is what's lighting, that's sort of still guiding them on their way. And there's another flash of lightning, there's another spark of inspiration, but then you have to do the hard work. And that's the Jewish idea of growth. We don't believe in just, okay, you're inspired, hooray, fantastic. You're gonna be an amazing person. But what, what comes next, right? So what comes next is Jacob's ladder. Right. Is everyone familiar with the with the dream that Jacob had of the ladder reaching up to the heavens? What why a ladder? You know, why not a staircase? Why not a why not a ramp for that matter? Why not just a ray of sunlight or a ray, you know, moonbeams where the angels were going up and down? That why a ladder? Because that's what growth is in Judaism. Growth is incremental. You're going step by painful step up that ladder. And that is this period. Because what happened on Passover? The Jews were inspired, right? They left Egypt. How could they not be at a high level then? You would think like they just experienced the plagues again. They just saw God taking them out himself. They just saw the plague of the firstborn and they're rescued from it and they're leaving and their Egyptian captors are like begging them to leave and shoving them out the, out the gates of Egypt. So how could they not be ready to receive the Torah then? And the answer is that was just the spark. It was just that inspiration. And now they have 49 days to grow. That's what Judaism says about growth. It says growth is incremental. And you have to take tiny little baby steps. But as long, and you know what? It also says, you know, I think this is from Mishle, maybe from, um, from Proverbs. Shevi pulled Sadik for come that a, a, a Sadik, a righteous person, is going to fall seven times and then get up again. And what the commentary say there is that it's not that oh, you know what? The guy who keeps on getting up is righteous. What the commentary say there is that, no, what makes him a righteous person? Those falls. He fell and he fell and he fell again. In other words, it's incremental growth. It's okay if you're not growing steadily. It's okay if you fall back down. But the idea of this time is to grow towards God. What should your goal be? Any ideas? We're saying we're not just growing, we're, we're making it concrete. We're really using this time to really focus on becoming a human being. Any ideas what that, what that looks like, how we personally want to prepare for, for receiving the Torah? There's no right or wrong answer. This is very personal. So I'll, I'll be honest, I actually tried to look up, like I, when I was preparing, I was trying to look up like, okay, we all, like this is drilled into me from a very young age, that sphere is up time for growing, but what kind of growth? Like what should we be focusing on, right? Everyone has so many different areas of spiritual growth to be focusing on. For example, we could divide it by growth between ourselves in our relationship with God or growth in our relationship with other people. What are we focusing on during this time? And there's different answers and there's different ways of thinking about it, right? Should we be focusing on relationship with God because we're receiving the Torah? Should we be focusing on relationship with other human beings because this is the period when the Talmudim of Rabbi Akiva passed away? The answer is, I think it's very personal. I don't think there is anyone any one sort of answer, but the bottom line is that we're preparing to receive the Torah. So what I, what I'd, I'd like to make a suggestion, and I, I, uh, you know, totally understand if nobody's interested in doing this, but my suggestion for for my again purely for selfish reasons is that maybe we could all try to sort of come up with one personal 
goal that we're going to try to accomplish during these seven weeks, something that we're going to try to, you know, either a habit that we want to take on that we'll have concretely acquired by the end of this time, um, or just any kind of, you know, small kind of goal that we want to reach by the end of these seven weeks. Um, what should that goal be? Again, totally personal. Something to keep in mind is that, the, is that whatever you're working on, whatever your spiritual goals are, you should always be in a place where you're a little bit uncomfortable. In other words, um, push yourself a little bit, but not too much, right? When we take on goals that are way higher than what our Nakuda Sabahira is and what our choice point is, then we're not going to reach them. But also don't set very easy goals. Set a goal where you're just slightly uncomfortable. It's like when you work out physically, like the, the optimal point of working out is where you're a little bit uncomfortable, but not sweating too much. Okay, fine. That is my introduction or sort of the first part of this class, which is just this period of sphere and why I'm giving the series now and, and what our focus should be during sphere. Any questions? Does everyone want to unmute themselves? Any questions so far? Any comments so far before we move on to the next part? I have a question. I might have missed it because I was late, but like, um, what did you speak about why the spirit is called like spheres at Omer? If that was the barley, like, why didn't, if we're like trying to go up, why didn't they like call it like about the wheat? Like, why are we like focusing on, on the barley offering? That is such a fantastic question. In other words, why do we call it Spheris Hasolas or something like that? Yeah, yeah. Great question. I don't think I know the answer to that. Right. Why are we specifically calling it Spheris Haolar? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm, th I'm thinking. Oh. I don't know the answer. Jessica, you <laughs> totally sent me. Let's, let's maybe try to look it up. and, and I'll look it up next, the next time. It's a fantastic yeah. question. I'm going to write it down in case I remember to look it up also. Um, why called Sira? Right, because we're counting but why the Omer. Why called Sira Ha Omer and not after the Solas? Okay. Um, so here's what we're, so what I'd like to do is I'd like to learn Perke Avo together. I'm going to talk about why in a minute. But um, the specific commentary that I want to learn with it is Rav Shamshim Rafaela Hirsch. So Rav Shamshim Rafaela Hirsch, you know, actually let's talk about Perke Avos first and then we'll talk about him. I'm going to switch around the order. Okay, so Perke Avos. So what is Perke Avos? Perke Avos is actually part of the Mishnah. What's the Mishnah? The Mishnah is we had this oral, we're at, at, at Sinai, we received the Torah, right? At Shavuot, at Sinai, we received the written Torah and the oral Torah. Why did we have an oral Torah at all? Why is there a Torah Shabbat? Why is that such an important part of Judaism? And there's lots of answers to this, but any ideas? Anybody, you know, have any ideas of why we needed to have an oral tradition in addition or complementing the written version of the Torah? Anybody heard any interesting ideas on that? So... There's lots and lots and lots of answers to this. But one very basic answer is that when we have an oral tradition, it means that it's being passed down. It means that people are, are imparting it from one person to the next person to the next person. So there's no other way of imparting it, right? When you have a written tradition, it can turn into, when you have a written book or a written safer, it can sort of turn into a reference book. It can turn into a dictionary. Okay, so yes, I have my Torah. I have my, I have my, uh, my dictionary. It's sitting on the shelf. 
Well, I need to know what the halacha is. I need to know what the law is. I'll take it down. I'll look it up. If I don't feel like I need to know anything, then I'm not looking at it, right? As opposed to an oral tradition where the only way of knowing about it is being taught from one generation to the next. One father to son, mother to daughter, one Rebbe to his Talmud, uh, a teacher to their student. That's the only way of passing it down. And so it's dynamic, it's living, it's growing, and it's, it's, in, it's ensuring that this is something that's being discussed every day. Because if you have this precious gift and you know that if you don't memorize it, it's lost, then you're spending time on it. Here's the thing. And during the time, so that's how the, the oral Torah was passed down for at least a thousand years. In the times of Rebbe, who lived around zero CE, around 70 CE, um, he was the leader of the Jewish nation at the time. And this was during the time already when the second temple was about to be destroyed. And he realized that the Jews are going to go into exile for a second time. And the oral tradition could be easily lost, right? The Jews are already dispersed. There's already Jews living in Babylon that, that didn't come back to Israel. And he's like, we're in danger of, of losing this oral tradition as strongly as we're supposed to keep it oral. I'm going to write down just the Rashi tables. I'm just going to write down mnemonics, you know, just sort of like the, the outline, the bullet points of the oral tradition. That way it won't be lost, but because I'm just writing down bullet points, people are still going to have to sort of transmit it and teach it and learn it. And like you said, Nicolette, learn it with the Harusa and sort of keep keep it going in a very communal kind of way. So Rebbe is the one who wrote down the Mishnah. Perke Avo is part of the Mishnah. And the reason I'm giving this whole introduction is because, first of all, because it starts with who it was passed down from. But secondly, because Perke Avo is very much written in that kind of format of Rashi tables. In other words, it's written in these short little bullet points. And there's tons of depth to the bullet points. There's tons of of uh, layers of meaning to what this is talking about and what context, why this is important. And, and part of what we're going to be doing together is trying to delve into that a little bit. So Pirkei is part of the Mishnah. It's one tractate in the Mishnah. And um, it's specifically translated as Ethics of the Fathers. And what it is, is it's five books. It's actually divided into six chapters, but the sixth chapter is actually taken from a different part of the Mishnah. But it's, it's really five chapters that go through different sages and what they used to say. And it's not just what they used to say, you know, once or twice, it's the, the term that's used is who haya Omer. He would, you know, he was, I don't know, I don't know the exact grammatical term, but he was used to saying. In other words, this was something, this was sort of like, you know how like different people tend to harp on the same ideas again and again. I know I do this, like I have my different ideas that I love and I'll bring them up again and again and different, you know, you have that math professor who's constantly saying, you know, and remember PEMDAS and that shows you how good my math skills are. <laughs> that's what I come up with. So that's what the Perkin Avot is. It's sort of like um, the, the, like the mantra that this particular rabbi used to tell his generation. Um, the reason why it's, um, the reason why we learn it now specifically during this time, a couple of reasons why we learn it now. One reason why we learn it now is because, you know, starting really starting as soon as we change the clock, starting when there's, starting when the Shabbosim become longer and when there's more time, we sort of wanted to have this custom to learn something Shabbat afternoon, and this is something I was picked to learn 
because it's that uh, what well, well as you'll see when we go through it it's very much um focused on your growth but besides for learning it we learned there's a custom to learn throughout the summer but there's a very strong custom to learn these six chapters during the six weeks of Sfirah to Omer. So Sfirah to Omer is seven weeks long. That usually includes six Shabbosim, if you start with the Shabbos after Passover. Um, so this past week, which was the first Shabbos after Passover, we learned the first chapter. So what I'm hoping to do together is that, you know, each week, whether you can learn it at home or not, that chapter, and then during the week, the week after, we'll learn that chapter together, different parts of it. So this past week, I learned chapter one at home myself, and now maybe we can go through some interesting parts of it. Before we, we before we learn through it, I just want to talk a little bit more about what Perke Avot means. I'm sorry, my, my throat's getting hoarse. You guys have to speak up more. I have I have it down a little bit of a sore throat. That's really why. But speak up more. Um, so a couple of questions that I have, and then I'd like to hear answers. Okay. Here are my questions. The first part of Perke Avos starts with a whole chain of of um of the of the the trajectory of the chain of um passing down the Torah. It starts with before you even go into this ethics and these, you know, the 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 um what the different rabbis used to say, teach you how to be a mensch, it starts with um Moshe Kibel Torah Misinai. That starts by saying Moshe got the Torah from Harsinai and he passed it on to Joshua. Joshua passed it on to the elders, et cetera, et cetera. It goes through the whole chain before it even begins. So my first question is, why do we put that at the beginning of Pirkei Avos, right? Pirkei Avos is part of the tractate of Nazikin, which is not the first tractate in, in the Mishnah. So why wouldn't you put that, you know, Moshe Kibel Torah Mesinai, why wouldn't you put that under, at the beginning of the Mishnah, and as opposed to putting it at the beginning of Pirkei Avos? That's question number one. Question number two. Perkei Elvis is actually placed in one, there's six different, there's Sisha, Shisa, Sidre, Mishnah. There, this Mishnah is divided up into six different parts and there's Rachos and there's Nashim. The Perkei Elvis, which is, again, talks about how to be a mensch, is put into the tractate that deals with damages. The tractate of civil law called Nazikin, literally damages. It talks about, you know, what happens if, Reuven's cow, gores, you know, Shimon's pig, not pig, we're Jewish folks. <laughs> Reuven's cow, gores, Shimon's bull, you know, what do we do in that case? So it, they put this Perkei which is really ethics, right? They put it into this smack in the middle of this tractate of damages. So my second question is, why? Why would it be put there? And my third question is, going to the name of it, it's called Perkei Avot, the the prakim, the chapters of our fathers. Why? What? Who are the fathers that it's referring to? Is it referring to us as fathers? Is it referring to the forefathers? Who's it referring to? The three questions that are all sort of connected. Any anybody have anything to offer? Any ideas? Why is it called? What? Who are the fathers over here? Why does it have to start at the beginning of it with Moshe Kibel Torah Sinai? And why is it placed in the tractate on damages? And these, the answers to these questions will sort of give us more of an insight into what it's about. Any, everyone's studiously ignoring my, my eye contact. <laughs> Good job, guys. <laughs> I 
know these are really hard questions. I have them in front of me, and I just listened to a class today on this by Rabbi Wolgalenter um, of San Diego. So, so I have the cheat sheet, so it's totally fine. Nobody has to guess. I'll, I'll go through the answers. I'll just get a little bit hoarser. That's okay. Um, so, the, so there's a couple of answers that are related, and I found it really fascinating. The first thing he talks about is how, you know, this is not, why does it start with telling us where this came from? Because you don't need to put that whole chain of transmission at the beginning of Brachos, where it talks about, you know, what blessings you make when you have a drink of wine versus a drink of water. Why? Because it's very clear that the Brachos are part of what Hashem transmitted to us, right? It's very clear that blessing, you know, codifying which blessings to make on what is not something that human beings are going to necessarily have made up. It's something that's definitely related to God. As opposed to this, Pirkei Avot, we're going to start going through it. It doesn't necessarily feel like, like, um, like spirituals. It feels more like very common sense kind of law, you know, and, and it's not just that it's very humanistic. It's very fluffy. Okay. It feels like, at least it feels like it could be fluffy, right? You know, Shammai Omer, having the Kabbalah, call other Messiah Panamiafa. Shammai says, make sure that you greet every person you see with a smiling countenance, right? Um, Hill says, if I'm not for myself, who will be for me, right? These are, the, these are all from Perke Avot, and they sound almost fluffy. They sound almost like, okay, very feel-good kind of Judaism. It's ethics. It's philosophy of ethics. It's, you know, let's, you know, let's make sure to figure out how we can be the most humanistic. That's sort of what you might think it is. The reason why the, the Mishnah codifiers, Rebbe, put this piece here in front of the Mishnah and Avos is to remind you, no, this is not fluffy. This is not feel-good. This is not optional. This is Moshe Kibel Torah Misinai. This is part of the Torah that Moshe was given at Sinai. These laws, these halachot, these ethics, this is, these are the rules of how to live your life. And these are just as much a part of the Torah as what blessings make on water or wine. That's why we start with Moshe Kibel Torah Misinai. And in the same way, why is it placed in the tractate on damages? Because again, this is not fluffy or optional. It's not like, you know, okay, I'll make sure that, you know, I'll, I'll, I, I, you know, I know that I'm not, that I need to be honest, that I can't cheat in business, but if I lose my temper, okay, whatever, you know, that's who I am. You can't really ask me to change. You know, that's just, that's just my personality. No, that's not an option. When you have bad midot, when you're not a mensch, when you act in nasty ways, you are a mazik. You know, as as I uh, as um, I jokingly tease my five year old son when he really damages things. A mazik means a damager. Nazikin are the laws of damages. The reason why perkevot is placed here is because someone who's not a mensch is automatically a mazik. Somebody who's who's not going by ethical laws. Somebody who's not able to control their temper, for example. Someone who's not kind to others, for example. They're a damager. And that's not in Judaism, that, that's that's just as much of the Torah, that's just as important. Those laws are just as important as being honest or as you know, praying three times a day. These are all these are all the same halachot, the same, the, you know, the same focus, the same importance. You can't you can't uh, be super honest, but then turn around and lose your temper. Those are both as important as each other. And we tend to forget that. We tend to sort of like be very focused on like 
the kind of like the, the laws that are very um, structured and very clear, as opposed to like these sort of grayer areas of being Adam Lechavero, you know, okay, so I yelled at that person, big deal. Okay, so I was nasty to the person, you know, they're just from customer service, who cares if I was nasty to them? Like, no, that's not the reality. The reality is that these, are, these laws are just as important. Um, the reason why, um, you know, there's a whole, I have a whole other thing here about why it's called Avos, but I'm just going to say one thing over there because, um, because, because I don't, because I don't want to get to, I want to get to a little bit of it. I'm actually looking at it inside. But one of the reasons why it's called Avos is because we actually learn this together. So I think all of you were at parts of my classes on Hilchot Shabbos, on the laws of Shabbat. And the laws of Shabbat are actually organized into categories. What's a category called? There's an Av Malacha and a Told Malacha. Orly, what's an Av Malacha? Do you remember? Like one of the main ones. Exactly. Thank you. Um, so I'm sorry for putting you on the spot. I'm so glad you remember it. <laughs> and Av, I knew you would. And Av Malacha is like the general category. As, as it means literally, an Av literally means like an, an Abba, like a father, right? An Abba means like the general category, the root category. And then underneath there are the total, there's the different like offsprings of that. And so part of why it's called Avot is to tell you that these, these are Rashi table. Like we said earlier, these are like, they're sort of like the bullet points. Each of these things, that each of these sayings that we're hearing over here, there's so much more to it. It's so much deeper. It applies to so many situations. And our job is to delve into it and figure out what that is. Another reason it's called the vote is just to emphasize that, you know, these are coming, these, the Tanam who taught us this, the Tanam, the sages who said these sayings were our fathers in the sense of they were so concerned with our spiritual development. That's how important these are. Okay, so that's what Pirke Avot is. Pirke Avot is the rules of being a mensch. Why do we learn it during this period? Because as Pirke Avot itself says, Derech Eretz Kadma Torah. What that means is that you have to have Derech Eretz. You have to know how to behave before you can get the Torah. And guess what? Before we can get the Torah, we're all going to be receiving the Torah on Shavuot. On Shavuot night, you're a Jew, you're receiving the Torah again. You got to that stop on the train. You're at that point on the, you got that point on the Galgal Hashanah, the cycle of the calendar. It's Shavuot. And the spiritual energy of Shavuot is receiving the Torah anew. What do we need before we can receive the Torah? We need to make ourselves into a mensch. We need to turn ourselves from an animal into a human being. We need to develop ourselves into a person. And Perikai Avot is one of the main tools that we have for doing that. So that's why we're learning Perkei Avot, and that's what I'm hoping to do with you together. We'll just go through, you know, a few, we'll pull out interesting bits and pieces of Perkei Avot each week from the week before to go through. Um, and you guys are welcome to learn it at home. I can send out a link to a couple of great online sources for learning Perkei Avot at home. So you can actually go through the whole chapter and not just the bits and pieces that we'll do together. Um, and without further ado, I think we can start and look through a little bit of a Pirkei Avot. Um, just a note on the Rav Hirsch. So what we're doing is we're doing, um, we're going to be using the commentary of Rav Shamshon Rafael Hirsch. Rav Shamshon Rafael Hirsch lived in Germany in the 1800s. He was a, a tremendous rabbi and person and like prolific writer. And I love learning anything by him because his whole, he was, he was very much a humanist and his whole his writing is beautiful, but also his whole sort of um, 
persona and the way he communicates and the messages he has are so beautiful and also so relevant. Um, so the surprise guest speaker you might have seen on the flyer is actually, I hope, I shouldn't say it yet because he's not here. It's going to be next week. So it's still a surprise. But somebody who's actually related, a direct descendant of our Shamshana Farrell Hirsch. And he's going to uh, come on and tell us a little bit more about our Shamshana Farrell Hirsch and the, sort of the context of his commentary. Um, but I think actually it's sort of nice to have, I didn't give him enough notice to come on this week. Um, he wanted to prepare a little bit more. He said he needs to fact check because my audience is so intelligent, he said. <laughs> But um, but the reason why he's coming on, but I think it's sort of nice to have him come on next because this way we'll be a little bit more familiar with Hirsch's writing and then we'll be able to hear a little bit more about him. So I wanted to have, I, I don't know if we'll have time, but I wanted to, There, I really want to, you know, obviously do the entire chapter one because everything is so incredible, but we're not going to have time for that today. But I wanted to just focus on two, two um, parts of chapter one for today. And then we'll, you know, I'll leave the rest of it for you guys to learn on your own if you're interested. Um, any questions so far, by the way? I know I'm just talking and talking and talking. Any questions so far? Okay, next week I'm going to hopefully post pictures of this. We'll share screens so that people can take turns reading aloud. Okay, but what I want to do is just start very quickly by going through again the fact that um the the first Mishnah, which the the first um, the Parak Rishon chapter one Mishnah one, the first Mishnah, the first sort of paragraph, which again goes through this uh, chain of transmission. I'm just going to read it in English for for uh, so that we have a little bit well, that's a little bit faster. Um, Moshe received the Torah from Sinai and handed it down to Yoshua, to Joshua. Yoshua to the elders, the elders to the prophets, the prophets handed it down to the men of the great assembly. The latter said three things. Be cautious in judgment, raise up many disciples, and make offense for the law. So I just want to put this into context. So, so before he before he starts going through, so this really this the whole Perke Avod is going to go through different groups of people, different groups of rabbis and what they were saying, right? But we're starting with what the Anshe Knesset HaGadola said. So I just wanted to put that into historical context. The Anshe Knesset HaGadola, the men of the great assembly were the, included the last of the prophets, but it was also this, this, uh, this great Sanhedrin, this great uh, group of 120 um, Jewish rabbis who, who start, who, you know, were, were, along with some of the people in their midst, they're the ones who were back in Israel with the start of the second temple. In other words, they came back to Israel from Babylon, many of them, and they built the second temple um, and they helped build the second temple. So that's the context of what we're talking about. They were starting to, um, they were start, they were, the, the historical context of what they're saying is that they're saying, we saw the first exile. We saw that, the, that, you know, we had our first temple. We thought it would last forever. It lasted for 410 years, destroyed by King Nebuchadnezzar, right? And then they, the Jews went into exile for 70 years in Babylon. And, the, and now part of the Jewish nation is coming back. They're rebuilding. But guess what? They know the, these Ajakas Sagadola are already aware of the future. They're all aware that this is not going to last forever. And they're aware that their job or part of their job is to prepare their nation 
for further exiles. Um, and it was sort of in that context that they talked about that, that they said these three things. So these three things, I'm, I'm sort of paraphrasing of Shamshul Hirsch, which is a shame because his writing is so beautiful, but I for use it for lack of time, I'm just gonna paraphrase. But the three things he that they that they were want to say, the three things that they you know used to say are all focused on how are we going to make sure to keep this nation alive? We're going to exile. There's no question about it. How can we, we're good, you know, yes, we're back in our lands. We have a second temple, it's wonderful, but we're going to be going into exile again. So how can we make sure to keep our nation alive? These three things, using these three things. So first of all, be cautious in judgment. That means we no longer have prophecy, right? We started the second temple, prophecy was gone already. So you don't really have direct knowledge of God. How are you going to know what to do? Be cautious in judgment. Gain, now, instead of using prophecy to know the truth, we're going to have to use chachma. We're going to have to use wisdom. We're going to have to examine things, learn things in depth, you know, analyze, look at all the different aspects of it, and then formulate a judgment. So he's saying, be cautious in judgment. That's what the Andrei Gnesbachdola are saying. They're saying, learn to use this new tool. You don't have prophecy anymore. We can still serve God. You're not blind. Use your chachma. Use your, use your judgment wisely. And the second thing they say is raise up many disciples. That means not just teach many disciples, but raise them up. What does that mean? It means give them the same tools. We're forming a nation now that's going to have to get through hundreds of years of exile. Make sure that you pass on these tools to the next generation and raise up many disciples. And the third thing they say is make offense for the law. Make offense for the law really means, um, you know, the classic example is muksa. It means that it's not enough to just say, okay, well, the law is that I have to always be honest, so I'll make sure to be honest. You know, make make yourself some gadarm, some fences. Make yourself some tools to make sure you actually are being honest. Um, in other words, don't just count on yourself and your strength to get through this long gullus. Make sure that you have um, sort of scaffolding and support. You know, think of like um, the 12 steps when you have a sponsor, make sure that you have supports in place to actually give you the, the tools to hold on to these laws throughout the long gullus. Okay, it's exactly 10 o'clock. Should we stop here and try to do one more? But everyone looks a little tired. I think we, I think that we'll have to skip the second one I wanted to do. Um, so next week, <clears throat> this week we really focus a lot on what sphere is and what Perke Avot is in general. Next week, I hope to just do Perke Avot. So we'll accept, we'll have an introduction first about who Rev Hirsch was. And then I'm going to screenshot some pictures and we'll take turns reading and discussing. And that's the format that we'll do for the rest of the series. I just wanted to spend some time today introducing Sphera. Wow, that was a lot of talking. Any questions? Questions, comments? So nice to be doing this again. Thank you all for joining. So nice to see everyone's faces and like it's been it's been too long. Hope everyone's doing well and I will see you. Take care. See you then. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This was nice. Thank you. Thank you everyone.